the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. one 800 913 and go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Saturday's America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Happy Saturday. Happy Easter weekend. I hope you have a, a wonderful weekend. Thanks for uh, for joining us on this probably busy weekend of yours. We have uh, a bunch to do, obviously. I don't. I never know where to start. It's always the biggest problem uh, of the show. Uh, but heck, let's start here. So my wife last weekend was out of town. So I did what any guy does when the wife is away. I watched war documentaries. And there's two that I have to tell you about. Well, one was excellent. One was fine, but I learned something that, that I think is interesting. Um, so the one that's awesome, and I'm telling everyone about, and I'll just be honest, I've probably told 12 people and like two of them think it's cool. So I've, I've <laughs> so I don't know if I'm just not doing a good job telling it or if it's actually not that cool, but that can't be. I, I know it's awesome. So I'm going to try to do a better job of, of, of telling uh, about the document. It's called Above and Beyond. It's on Netflix. I'm sure you can get it somewhere else too, but it's on Netflix if you have it. It's awesome. It is about the beginning of the Israeli Air Force in 1948. So here's how this went down. Arab-Israeli War, 1948. So just before this, the British controlled Palestine. And they said, all right, fine, we're out of here. We're going to leave on May 15th, 1948. And that was the day, the very first day that Israel was officially going to become a country, May 15th, 1948. So that meant that all the Arab states, Egypt, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, all of them were preparing and ready to attack the brand new country of Israel on May 15th, 1948. It's the exact same thing Barack Obama did when he said, we're leaving on this date. So all the the rebel forces or whoever in Afghanistan, they said, okay, great. So they just waited until that date. Same thing here in 1948. So Israel wasn't a country. And the UN said they were going to be a country, but they weren't a country yet. They had no way to defend themselves. So the, the, who would be the president of Israel, right? He comes to America and he asks for help. And Truman, the president says no. And not only does he say no, but he makes it illegal for anyone to sell arms to Israel. So a handful, four, four Jewish American pilots who fought in World War II, they decided that they were going to go fight for Israel. 
But there's a couple problems, obviously. There's no Air Force in Israel. There's no real military structure or hierarchy. They have no planes. And they're not in Israel. They're in... One was from Newark. One is from, I think, like St. Louis. And the other is from California, right? They're from all over the country. So this is what they did. They decided to go buy surplus World War II planes in, I think, the Nevada desert. And they started a mini airfield in Burbank, California. So they got they got these planes. Now, they can't get the planes to Israel because it's illegal, right? Truman said it's illegal to sell arms. But it turned out one of the guys had a friend whose nephew was like was somehow related to the president of Panama. Like there's some bizarre connection to the president of Panama. So they started a fake company called Panama Airlines based out of Panama. So now they're like an official. So that's how they're going to get the planes over to Israel by saying, Oh, we're, we're an airline. We're an air force. What? So they're on their airfield in Burbank and someone from the federal government comes by and inspects the planes. And he's like, guys, these are not passenger planes. These are old World war two fighter planes. And the guys are like, what? What are you talking about? No, we're Panama Airlines. Some guy goes in the garage, pulls out a can of paint, and writes PA on the tail of the plane. Like, look, Panama Airlines, there it is. And the guy's like, no, 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 you guys can't fly these. You're not a real airline. And the guy goes, uh, you're going to have to shoot me. They get in the planes, they take off. Not kidding. They go to from California to New York, to Panama, to Brazil, to Morocco, to Rome, and then they go to the one country that's breaking the embargo with Israel is Czechoslovakia. All right, so I'm going to jump ahead here. Here's the crazy part. They're in Czechoslovakia. They get reports that 10,000 Iraqis are marching into Israel. They're six miles from Tel Aviv. Now, Israel, again, no defenses, none. The Iraqis are just, they're in a single file line down the road, and they're just going to march right into Israel, and that's it. Israel won't even exist. They're six miles away. So these four pilots in these planes that are thrown together. I, I left this stuff out. Like, I'm leaving a ton out, but they're scrap planes. Like There's the propeller from one type of plane and, and uh, the fuselage from another type of plane. And the pilots were worried that they couldn't even get them off the ground. And sometimes they couldn't. But the four of them take off and they drop bombs on the 10,000 Iraqis. The Iraqis see these four planes coming out and they see the explosions they assume that that's the beginning of a much larger air force that's coming their way they retreat these four guys made ten thousand iraqi soldiers retreat and if they just kept going then that they would have won. I mean, there's no doubt they would have won there was no one there's no defenses whatsoever it is the coolest story and there's more after that too but the guys are were still alive i think the movie was made like two years ago the guys it's called above and beyond um, they're, they're still alive and they're telling the story. And it, like, what, how do, I've never heard any of this. And they're talking about how this is the most important thing they've ever done in their lives. And they talk about how proud their families were and they got tears in their eyes. One guy said, God put me on this planet for that reason. So you got these like bad news bears guys, just like a couple of cats from again, all over the country don't even know each other. And they come together and they truly save Israel. Unbelievable story. It's called above and beyond. Definitely watch it. If you got 90 minutes, it's funny and it's an amazing story. Two quick facts about it. 
it's made by the sister of Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg's sister. I think it's the first or only movie she's ever done. Um, and one of the four guys, one of the original four, was the dad of Pee Wee Herman. I'm watching it, and and this guy comes up, and he's talking about his dad, and his name's Paul Rubens. And I'm like, you you look like Pee Wee Herman. So I looked it up, and I'm like, sure enough, there's Pee Wee Herman's dad was a World War II fighter pilot and, and in the beginning of the Israeli Army, Israeli Air Force. Who knew? All right, so that's movie number one, Above and Beyond. Check it out, ASAP. It's awesome. Second thing I saw, and I want to relate this to some current events, World War II from Space. This was a History Channel documentary. You can check it out on YouTube. I watched it on YouTube. Uh, so, you know, it's a History Channel documentary, so it's you know super broad, dramatic music, cheesy graphics, all that stuff. But in it, they mentioned the Manhattan Project. Now, let me bring it to today first. California, a week or so ago, Sacramento passed... Uh, an increase in the gas tax. Okay, so we already have the highest price gas in the country for a couple different reasons. One of them, we have a unique blend in California of gasoline that no one else in any other state uses. So there's a special refining process that has to take place. It's obviously more expensive. So that's one reason why California gas is more expensive than anywhere else. Also, now we have 70 cents a gallon in, in taxes. On top of that, the federal 18.4 cent gas tax. So you're getting close to a dollar per gallon in taxes already and they just raised it another 12 cents so crazy crazy and it's all to raise money to fix the roads huge story i'm not going to go into it here none of the money is going to go to roads it's a total scam everyone fell for it the only way it passed is because one republican senator state senator needed to switch his vote to a yes and vote for the democrats and they did because they the governor promised him 500 million dollars to extend a train line from san francisco to his district so a total total sellout total hack sellout republican uh up in sacramento caved and that's the only reason this thing passed at all don't even get me started i could go on it forever point is this gas tax over 10 years is raising 50 uh 52 billion dollars 52 billion dollars to fix potholes okay now i want to go back to the manhattan project keep that in mind today gas tax 52 billion dollars fix the potholes i Never, I've never studied the Manhattan Project. I'm sure there are people listening now. You maybe know a ton about the Manhattan Project. I knew nothing. I read a paragraph about it in my 11th grade history book. All right, that's it. So this is where they developed the nuclear bomb. So I had this vision because I never really learned about it. So I just had to kind of make it up in my brain. I had a vision of, I don't know, maybe 20 people. What do you think? Like when you think of the Manhattan Project, developing the nuclear bomb, like what, what's the vision you have? I think 20 people led by Albert Einstein in a laboratory in, I don't know, like maybe New York, maybe Los Alamos. And I don't like, I don't know. And that was, that was my vision of uh, Manhattan project. Turns out Albert Einstein had nothing to do with it. It was led by another physicist who wanted to warn the president FDR that Germany was way ahead of us on developing a nuclear weapon. But he was worried that FDR would ignore his letter because he was just some random guy. So he called Albert Einstein to sign the letter and give it a little bit of weight so that FDR would read it. So that was all of Albert Einstein's involvement with the nuclear bomb. That's it. So FDR still ignored it. The third or fourth letter, the uh, the, the, the scientist, his name's uh, Szilard, Leo Szilard, he said, listen, I wrote a paper about this. I'm going to publish it. 
and Germany will read it and they will get the nuclear bomb if you don't give me the funding to build this for America. So he blackmailed the president and it worked. So I thought it was just a group of guys, 130,000 scientists in 30 different laboratories across the country. Took them six years. And in today's dollars, it cost $26 billion. That is a huge enterprise. 130,000 scientists were involved in this. Okay, so what does that have to do with today? The t- again, the tax increase, the gas tax in California to fix potholes, $52 billion. So $52 billion to replace a couple potholes across the state? Maybe uh, make some bike lanes, fix a bridge here or there? $52 billion? But for half of that, half of that, we employed 130,000 scientists at 30 different laboratories across the country for six years to make a nuclear weapon for the first time in history. Half as much money as it takes today to fill some potholes. Anyone else find that pathetic? Do you find that absolutely pathetic that it takes twice as much money today to fill potholes as it did to make a nuclear weapon 75 years ago? How inefficient uh, we have become. Inefficient and bloated. But again, don't get me started on any more on the gas tax. Just wanted to throw that your way. So anyway, the first movie is called uh, Above and Beyond. Definitely watch that. And uh, the second one is World War II from Space, which is just pretty fun to watch too. one 888 I got a phone call on my local show the other day uh, from someone saying, Slater, listen, this gas tax and everything in California and across the country, it's so crazy. How do we, how do we turn the tide here? How do we turn the tide? How do we get people to see? the truth. I took my best stab at an answer. I want to share that with you next. Mike Slater show the blaze radio network. Spread the- You're listening to Mike Slater on the blaze radio network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. This is Mike Slater. He said, I was talking on my local show the other day about the craziness of California, and there's no shortage of that. And a bunch of people called in, super frustrated. It's really hard to live in this state. The weather's so nice, but gosh, Sacramento is the worst. It's unbelievable. So people called in and, and asked, Slater, how can we change things? What can we do? Very, very frustrated. And my answers are, because I've been answering that for six years, I've been living here. Uh, my answers are never satisfactory. You know, I, I think we want a button to press or a, a, a lever to, to pull and it's fixed. Uh, it's never that easy. And truly, 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 the answer that everyone can do is just to talk to people. Just talk to people and talk to friends about the truth. And I, I like whenever I say that, I, I just feel everyone listening to me like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like I was looking for some shortcut answer. One thing I can do right now. Like, mm, it's not, 
It's never going to be that easy. And it shouldn't be that easy. It's interesting to me how, how quickly... There's two things. How quickly people believe something and then they believe it quickly because it's based on who they hear it from. So real quick, did you, did you hear the story the other day about the girl that was found in the jungles of India raised by monkeys? Did you see this? This was just a couple days ago. Uh, let me read this article. It says, uh, th- th- take notice. Like As I read this, your brain is going to start making an image of what this looks like. Take notice of what your brain is doing. Take notice of the imagery as I read this. Police in India are searching for the parents of a young girl who was found in a forest and appeared to have been living with monkeys. The girl was with a group of monkeys with whom she appeared to be very comfortable. When a police officer attempted to rescue her, the monkeys and girl screamed when the officer detained her. When the officer called the girl, the monkeys attacked him, but he was able to rescue the girl. He sped away with her in his police car while the monkeys gave chase. So that turned into headlines, girl raised by monkeys. People are calling her girl Mowgli from the Jungle Book. Even though the Jungle Book, he was raised by wolves, but whatever, minor detail. So what imagery do you get from that? I'm thinking, I I get these imageries of mama monkeys feeding her bananas, you know, peeling bananas with her feet and giving her, and and then she plays around with the baby monkeys and she's swinging from the trees and all, right? She's She's raised by monkeys. Yeah, this never happened. None of, none of that happened. The, the people who rescued her say there were no monkeys around. She wasn't raised by monkeys. There's no... I mean, no doubt she saw monkeys and heard them from a distance, but she wasn't raised by monkeys. Like, people have this imagery like she was adopted by a monkey family. No. That, that never happened. So why do people believe that? Why do people believe that? There was a Pew poll the other day asked for confidence in different institutions. TV news, trusted by 21% of people. Newspapers, trusted by 20% of people. So 80% of people don't trust these sources. 80% of people do not trust TV news or what they read in the newspaper. 80% don't. But everyone reads an article about a girl being raised by monkeys in the jungle and every single person's like, oh, yeah, that happened. That makes sense. Hmm? Wow, it's crazy. Wow, wild. You know, girls swinging from the trees. Hmm? Whoa, whoa. Why? Why? Why do you believe that? If, if, you, if 80% of people don't trust what they read on the TV or what, they, or what they see on the TV or reading newspapers, why does everyone believe the story that the girl was raised by monkeys when clearly she wasn't? What's the difference? It's one very simple thing. It's a couple of things, but I'm just going to say one. One, it's, this, this one is the most important and relevant thing. Most people, 62% of people, 62% of Americans get their news from Facebook. And when something is shared by a friend on Facebook, they're more likely to trust it. So if I gave you an article from the Huffington Post about a girl who was raised by monkeys. You don't trust the Huffington Post. So you look at that and you say, no, that's ridiculous. But if you go on Facebook and your friend, Chris, or whoever, who's a, who's a friend that you trust, right? that friend of yours posted an article by the Huffington Post on their Facebook page, 
Most people look at that not as an article from the Huffington Post, but an article shared by Chris, who you trust. That's why people, although, although they don't trust the Huffington Post, they still trust their friends. And that same article, people will read it because their friend shared it and they'll look at it and say, oh, wow, your girl, girl raised by monkeys. Wow, that's crazy. Un unbelievable story. So people don't trust the news, but they trust their friends. So use that. Go talk to people. Fill the void where friends don't tell them the truth. Whenever someone doesn't hear the truth from a friend then they are more inclined to believe what they see on TV or read in the newspaper. But if you can get there first and you can share actual truth, people trust you. People trust you. If you don't share the truth, then they're going to trust the governor. right? So when the governor, I'll just bring it back to California, but I'm sure you have a similar example, whatever state you live in. The governor says, we got to raise gas taxes because the money's got to go to fix our roads. They'll believe them. But if you go to a friend and say, the money's not going to roads. And here's the tax already. It's too high. They'll trust you over the governor every time. Every time. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. Slater Happy Saturday. Happy Easter weekend. So I want to chat a book here. I chat about a book called The Fourth Turning by Neil Howe. You've probably heard more about it in the last three months than, than ever. Uh, I don't know when it was written. A while back. A couple decades, I think. So Neil Howe's uh, theory is that since 1500, history goes in cycles. And it's about 80 years or so per cycle. And each cycle has four different stages. There's a ton to the book, but let, let me go really, really quick through the four cycles, like super quick. One sentence. You have the high, and this is when institutions are strong and the individual is weak. So, uh, or I don't want to say weak, small. So uh, World War II, institutions, the military, the government, that strong individual is, is small. Then you have the awakening. So this is when those institutions are attacked in the name of, of individual autonomy, right? And, and people rebel against social discipline and they want to achieve self-awareness instead, right? That's the awakening. Then you have the unraveling. This is when, this is the flip of the high. This is when the institutions are weak and the individual is strong and flourishing. And then finally, the crisis, usually a war. But this is when individualism is gone because there's some perceived threat to the nation, right? So, so civic authority comes back People, again, begin to associate themselves as members of a larger group, right, for security reasons and things like that. So that's a super, super short. I mean, it's a long book and there's a lot to it. But uh, so these cycles, each cycle is about 20 years or so. And again, four of them. So it's about 80 year cycles and round and round and round. One thing that's interesting, quick side note about this theory, which I, I like, is let's say you're raised in a period of the awakening. Okay? If you're raised in that period, then you have a certain set of values. If you're born in the next, if you grew up in the next section, the unraveling, then you have a, a set of values. And each group has people who are, grow up in it with different sets of values. The people who grow up in the awakening period and the high period, those values are very different. 
but let's say you grow up in the high period you uh the values you have are very closely aligned to someone 80 years ago who grew up in a different cycle but the same period this high period so so those two people so you let's say and the question is where are we now right uh, but if you grew up in the high period, you are very similar to someone 80 years ago who grew up in a different high period and very similar to someone 80 years before that who grew up in the high period. And then another 80 years before that who grew up in the high period. So these sets of values, you may be different from someone who was born 20 years from you, but 80 years, very similar to pretty interesting. Okay. So, um, let me, let me shorten this all in case this is confusing. We've been using this for a couple weeks now, uh, Four sections. Hard times create strong men. That's like World War II. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. It's after World War II. Good times create weak men. Baby boomers. And weak men create hard times. I think that's where we are right now. Weak men are creating hard times. And the cycle goes around and around and around and around. Okay. So the reason this book is getting uh, a lot of attention now is Steve Bannon likes it. And Steve Bannon's a Nazi, we're told. So if he likes it, then it's awful. And that's why it's in the news a lot. Now, the author, Steve Howe, was, uh, no, sorry, Neil Howe, Neil Howe, was interviewed on NPR. It was a long interview, but, and I just want to play one clip of it here. This is near the end of the interview when the NPR host <laughs> pretty much had enough and couldn't hold his disagreement back anymore because there are philosophical differences between uh, a Neil Howe and the host. Generally speaking, if you are conservative, you believe in a cyclical history. You believe that history repeats itself and you believe that history goes in cycles. Progressives believe in a linear history. And if someone who believes in each of those, if two different people are having a conversation and one believes in cyclical and one believes in linear, they're, they're going to have a tough time <laughs> communicating with each other because they have totally different perspectives on, on life and where we are in history. Really interesting. So I want to play this clip here. It'll make more sense. There's three people in this clip. First, it's a New York Times reporter. Then I think the, the author comes in. And you'll hear the NPR host as well. So it starts off with the New York Times reporter saying, uh, okay, so you, author, you believe in a cyclical history. So does that mean you want to do things that will lead us to the next turning? Right? So let's say you're, you're Bannon, Steve Bannon and Donald Trump and you believe in cyclical history. Are you going to tear down social institutions specifically and purposefully to usher in the next turning that that's the question for the author here it is no doubt that if you believe that crisis is is upon us or and and that a worsening crisis is imminent that you are going to seek to do things that not only disrupt but dislocate and destroy what we've come to know as 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 our societal norms. Neil, are you is, whether you intended it or not? Are you encouraging people to kind of race toward the rapture here? Uh, no, um, um, 
I'm, I'm again. I want to come back and say I'm describing what is uh, simply. Maybe what we have not seen. everybody agrees with you on that. Well, you could have a progressive okay. or linear view okay. of history that would have nothing to do with this. Let right? me let me let me actually address that because uh, it's kind of interesting, and we we have a long discussion of linear, cyclical, and chaotic views of time mm-hmm. uh, in our book, and mm-hmm. it's very interesting in the West, you know, and, and the great monotheisms are very oriented around a linear view of history. You know, history starts at one place and it ends. You know, and and the and the idea is to get there. Uh, but it's interesting that 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 um, pre-modern societies, in particular Eastern societies, have much more cyclical view of time. All of the uh, first translations of our book into foreign languages, by the way, have all been into Asian languages. Uh, kind of curious to me, uh, you know, into Mandarin, Chinese, uh, 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 Japanese, or recently Vietnamese, and and the 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 Confucian cultures are very oriented around generational change and very much in tune with cyclical ideas of history. Yeah, you know, I spent in 10 the years West, in Asia. I get it, in the, but but I'm in the kind West, of devoted also to the West, where we masters in, in of our West, destiny. Neil, in the where West, we jump in and in work the, on it. Okay, uh, let me let me just finish that sentence. Mm-hmm. In the West, we are very much uh, oriented toward this idea that either through our faith or through technology, we will kind of jump out of history, right? Uh, well, there's going to be this period, this plateau. We're going to kind of escape it, just you know, another five years or something. But but you look at the you look at these patterns, and you say, well, they do tend to. It doesn't mean that we don't face all kinds of choices. We can navigate these periods well or poorly, and we discuss that extensively in our book. This is not anti-choice. It is simply saying, be aware of the season you're in. Okay. So, two views of history, cyclical, linear. The left, uh, they, they believe in linear. And as you heard the author say, that history starts at one point and then it ends at some point in the future. And the idea is to get there. We got to get to the end, right? Then there's, and I'll get to what that means in a second. Um, the left thinks that the cyclical worldview, the one I have, and if you're a conservative, you probably have to, uh, the left thinks that that's dangerous. That's a dangerous view of history. I think the linear one is. Here's why. If you have a linear view of history, then that means your goal is a utopia at the end, right? At the end of the rainbow is a utopia and the goal is to get there. It's a very evolutionary mindset, right? So, so if you're a progressive, you probably believe more likely to believe in evolution, which means we came from apes and we're better than apes, right? So we're evolving better, right? We're evolving into a better species, and, and we, therefore, also, we must keep evolving into a better place, okay? So we're, we're evolving, and, and we're on this march of history to a better utopian ideal, led, of course, by the enlightened people, right? By the university professors, by academia, by the elites, by the progressives. If you oppose their vision of the utopia that we're all marching towards, then you are an enemy to mankind. You're not just wrong. You're, 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 you're in the way. You, you have to be eliminated. Like, we're on a march here. We're going to utopia. So we, we, we have to get rid of you. This is why it's easy for many progressives to group everyone they don't agree with with Hitler. Because they just put everyone in the same category of people in the way of our march. Right? Our march towards utopia. You're in the way. You got to go. 
How dare you not be as enlightened as I am on this march to utopia? Then every moment along the way where it's not utopia yet, because as the author said, it's always like utopia is like five, a couple of years away, right? So every year we're not there. Maybe there's a war or poverty exists or something. Whatever moment we're not in utopia, which is every moment, that means there was a wrong turn somewhere. Uh, someone made a wrong decision and someone's to blame. So conservatives are to blame. You got in the way. Second Amendment advocates, if it weren't for you, then we'd be in utopia by now. Donald Trump, oh my gosh, how can this be? I thought we were marching in the right direction. We're so off. So someone's in the way in their march towards history, march towards utopia, someone's in the way and someone's screwing it up because otherwise we'd be there by now. And it's always your fault. That's, that's the point. Now, progressives like Obama uh, would, would comfort themselves when bad things happened by saying, listen, Sure, things are things are bad now, but and President Obama would say this all the time. The arc of the moral universe is long, and it bends towards justice. Now that's a Martin Luther King Jr. phrase, who we stole and steal. He took it from someone else, uh, and there's way more context to the way that Martin Luther King Jr. used it. So I, I criticized the president, the former president, in the past for. Uh, mischaracterizing that sentence, but this is how he always applied, right? The moral universe, the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice, right? That's very much we're going towards this ideal. Well, you know what I say? Maybe it doesn't. <laughs> what do you mean? The arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice or not. Or it doesn't do that. What does it do then? I got to take a break. I'll polish it up next. one 888 Send me a tweet on Twitter uh, if you think history is cyclical or if you think it's linear. I'm just curious. We'll take a quick little vote here. Slater Radio on Twitter. S-L-A-T-E-R Radio. Slater Radio on Twitter. We'll wrap this up next. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. So everyone is tweeting me saying cyclical. Uh, I think it is as well. So again, just I, got, I only got two minutes. So I got to pick up where I left off. Um, so President Obama said he, people, progressives like him will say the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. Mm, maybe, maybe, maybe it doesn't. Maybe that's not how that works. Uh, there's a great book. I've, I've heard it's a great book. I haven't read it. It's called uh, A Hobbit. A Wardrobe and a Great War. I really look forward to reading it. It's about C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, who were two best friends, geniuses. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And then, of course, C.S. Lewis wrote Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe and a bunch of other things. And it's, the book's about how World War I shaped their Christian faith. And their worldview, mine as well, is that every human soul is caught up in a great story against the shadow of evil. We are in a fearsome war, as C.S. Lewis called it, a state of war. C.S. Lewis said that we are in enemy-occupied territory right now, and it's our job to engage in a campaign of sabotage against the enemy. Who's the enemy? 
Liberals, no, 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 no. Much more than that. We are always in a great war, but most people don't realize it. They think we can just march on through to some utopia, but we can't. We have to fight the war that's around us right now. And how successful we are at that depends purely on first recognizing it. <laughs> recognizing you're in a war, you're in an act of sabotage right now, and then acting accordingly. And that's what the author of The Fourth Turning says. He says, be aware of the season, like the cycle of history. Be aware of the season you're in. Because the longer you're in denial, the worse the consequences will be. It's just about being aware of, of where we are. I know there's a lot there. And, and uh, it's a big, it's a pretty deep topic, right? The takeaway for me is this. Like, this used to be common sense. Growing up your entire life, You've heard people say history repeats itself, right? I remember in whatever fifth grade, there's a poster up on the wall in the classroom that said, learn history or you're doomed to repeat it. Nothing new under the sun, right? These used to be pretty basic and accepted truths, but that's not the progressive mindset anymore, right? That's not the progressive mindset that history repeats itself and is in cycles. They think it's linear. And I think if you go through the world thinking that you're going to make a lot of enemies of people who really aren't your enemies because you're always looking for someone to blame because you're not there yet, right? They're always trying to go somewhere better, somewhere there, as opposed to recognizing where you are. Big difference. All right. I want to come back. Uh, fourth turning is the name of the book. Uh, Neil Howe, H O W E. want to come back, talk about uh plan in New York. I think this is, I think this passed. I think this is a done deal. Free college. Ah, it's great. If you think a college is expensive now, wait until it's free. We'll talk about that next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.